It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Welcome to another Tuesdays with Trey. There are a thousand reasons, at least, uh, that I enjoy uh, doing this podcast, uh, starting with the chance to be with you each week and also including the opportunity to visit with some uh, really thought-provoking guests from former to sitting members of the House and Senate, prosecutors and athletes and coaches and psychologists and authors even from time to time, get some help with my golf swing, uh, which I probably need to go ahead and get one of these guys back on. Anyone who can help me through the slew of despond that I'm currently in. But I am out this week. But even though I'm out, I thought it would be fun to take a look back at uh, one of those conversations that I enjoyed the most. So I hope that you all enjoy this encore episode. And I will be back very soon. Thank you for listening. Dr. Kevin Gilliland from the great state of Texas. Dr. Gilliland, if it's okay with you, thank you for joining us. I am more fascinated by what you do for a living than I am what I used to do for a living. But we'll go back and forth. If there, I mean, you and I were talking off air recently that you get questions from folks, good questions who want to know why things are the way they are. Yeah. I get questions that only you can answer. So I'll start and then we'll go back and forth until, I don't know, maybe midday Saturday. Yeah, (laughs) man. I tell you, I love that. And I'm one, it's, it's always fun to be on with you. Um, it hurt that you started with four decades because I did the math in my head. And I'm like, yeah, I guess we are that old. But man, you, you, uh, you are brilliant. I love how you interact with complex subjects. This is absolutely a complex subject. And the fact that um, you and I took so many psychology classes together, it's no wonder that you possess such a depth and breadth of that subject. And man, why don't they tell more future lawyers to do that? Um, so it's good to be on. And I'm glad that you're keeping a short goal of us knocking this out by Saturday. <laughs> that's that's going to be awesome. Well, you know, I talk slowly. You know, before we get started, Kevin, I took more classes with you than I did anyone else at Baylor. I took more psychology classes than I did even what I majored in. But I could not to this day pass testing and measurement or statistics. I struggled to pronounce statistics, so I could not have passed it. And you, I mean, you know this, I graduated Baylor never having taken a math class and testing and measurement sounded to me like there were numbers in it or else I would have joined you as a psychology major, but I couldn't pass it. Well, you you chose the right direction, and I'm not sure I would care to know how much the good Mr. and Mrs. Gilland spent on tutors for those classes, <laughs> but, but I sincerely appreciated their investment. So good thing well, that uh, our fields don't involve a lot of math. 
yeah, I mean, I, well, we'll have another conversation about why we need to multiply or divide fractions. Why can't you just make it a whole number? I, I don't, I mean, why, I, I don't understand why I need to learn how to divide something when you could have made it a whole number and chose not to do so. But let's start with this. This is a question I get all the time. All right. Alex Murdoch was a double homicide, double murder trial that kind of captivated the country, certainly my state, arguably the country. People are fascinated by the mind of a killer. They want to know a motive. There's always this desire to understand why. And to me, it is futile Let's use our wives as an example. Your wife and my wife, Terry. How would we ever explain to them why someone shot their spouse and child? I mean, what under what explanation is going to make Ann and Terry say, "Okay, I get it now. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. And, you know, I love that. That's your first question. And I said this to someone within the last week on that trial because I have a lot of clinicians that I work with, a lot of people that know what I do and do some legal work as well. And and I don't actually, I'm very careful how I answer that question. But if you go to answer that question with the, the lovely brides that we somehow convinced to say yes a very long time ago, or right teaching elementary school, when I explain why I understand it, it almost, I, it, it looks like it concerns my wife that I get it. And I'm like, I just, it's just that I get it. I'm not saying, you know what I mean? It it, it, it alarms her like, well, does that? And I'm like, no, I don't feel that way about you. I mean, it's not, no, it's, but it's a very complex behavior. And I think that's what people struggle with. If you haven't, and not many people have because of your career, um, if it's in your personal life, you're too close to it to be objective and just see the data. But if it happens to cross paths of your career, you realize that there are a a long line of decisions and behaviors that lead to this very moment. But the majority of people step into the moment and try to understand it. And you go, well, by the way, you're never going to get there. It's like you said, and it's such a great description of Murdoch, is that it's it's a lifetime achievement award. And that, I hope people know what you mean by that, by your quick wit, where you've embedded a wonderful truth in it. Um, and it speaks to that, which is, oh, it's complex, but it's not so complex that we can't understand it. And that's what frustrates me is you hear publicly these short snippets to understand it that are as misleading as they are leading. Does that make sense? It does. I mean, to your point, um, and look, it's immoral, it's wrong, it's criminal. I get all that. But if someone needs money and they go to a store where there is money and rob it, that's logical. It's wrong. It's criminal. It's immoral. But I understand you thought you needed Mm -hmm. money. They had money. Therefore, you took it. Anger. Yeah. You made me mad. Yeah. I killed you or you killed me. I made you mad. Wrong. Criminal. It's been around since Cain and Abel going to be around. But there are certain categories where we look for a motive. Uh, there was a shooting at an outdoor concert in Las Vegas. Oh, gosh, dog, yes. Scores and scores of people. So this is someone 
indiscriminately shooting other human beings for no discernible reason at all. They didn't make him mad. Mm -hmm. He wasn't taking something from them. And yet we want to know why. Okay, why did he do it? How will you ever know why? Yeah, yes. Yeah, I'm like, look, and if you do, and if you're able to tease out with some degree of confidence, and you can't always, but the times you can, it's not going to have the effect that you're hoping. You know, I go back to, and and by the way, that guy, and I, I would put that gentleman and serial killers in a separate category from Murdoch. They are different. While similar, they are categorically different. So it's hard enough to understand him. But to your point, and you made a a point, I've I've heard you make the point a couple of times. I can't remember what you said about it on the podcast. When you're a kid growing up, you worried about strangers. Yeah, kidnapping. Yeah, kidnapping or even dying at the hands of a stranger. Oh, yeah. I hate to tell you, people that are still here listening, you need to worry more about the people you know than some stranger. And and we have this misperception of it. Which is shocking to me. We there are so many miniseries and I'm addicted to crime miniseries. I watch them all the time. It's that stranger crime that we fear the most. Yeah. But I used to tell when I was a prosecutor and I would speak on domestic violence, the women who are terrified of walking through a parking lot at a mall late at night, you are in more danger once you get home. Yeah. Someone who claims to love you, then you are a stranger walking through a parking lot, but they don't process the information that way. I know. And that's where you go. Okay, look, take a breath. We, We need your best thinking here. That statement is based on hard science and data. This isn't just Trey and Kevin's opinion. So you have to go, oh, well, what do they mean by that? And you go, well, that's a fun fact. Here's what they mean by it. And, and so you're like, all right, well, then that's a data point that helps you understand what this guy did in South Carolina. So let me ask you this question. Because I, I think it's it's related to that. And I know we'll go back and forth in these because they weave together. One of the ones I get all the time from when I'm hired by a law firm or asked to be an expert testifying or especially if I'm if I, when you're court appointed, your mandate is to be unbiased. But when you're hired by a firm, you're asked to sort of maintain that same unbiased so that you can see and sift through all the data, the good, the bad, and the irrelevant. But one of the things I hear potential parties in a suit, or I get asked after is this, and I wonder how you answer this. Well, I just can't wait to get to court so that the truth will come out. How do you respond to that? It's part of the truth. I mean, it's called a verdict, which means to speak the truth, but Anyone who thinks a trial is a joint pursuit of the truth has never been in a trial. I mean, if you think about it, Kevin, we want to know what happened. Let's pick Alex Murdoch. We want to know what happened. Okay. The first person we're going to ask is the guy that has a constitutional right not to talk. Now, he happened to waive it, but he didn't have to talk to the police and he didn't have to testify. So the person arguably with the most amount of, quote, truth or access to it is the one that is constitutionally entitled to not say a word. I hate to tell you this, but 
I can't tell you how many of your listeners that are still on, and, and I think we might be down to five now, <laughs> but that statement just shook their foundation. They're like, what? When I say that to people and I have my own version of it, they look at me like I just told them there's no Santa. It's your parents. Now you get into your first grade class and have a great day. It's that disruptive. And then they look at it like, well, what do you mean? It's not about truth. And I go, well, let's go back to, to uh, Harold's statement. We want to know the truth question. Who are you including in we? Because the first person you're not including is the individual you just referenced. Right. He does not want we to know the truth. See, we're down to four. Your your other English teacher that was on, that stayed on because of haiku, we just <laughs> lost her. But, but stay with me, ma'am, before you leave. Mrs. Lincoln, who was my fifth grade English teacher. Thank you. I'm not sure he would want the, quote, truth to be presented. That's not what happens in court. We have so many rules, Kevin. We have, well, I'll give you, for instance, if you were my therapist, what I tell you. You mean if you finally paid me for it? Yes. If I Right now, it's, it's kind of an informal arrangement. But if I paid you for it, you would not be able to go repeat. So I could walk in, in theory, I could walk in and tell you a bunch of stuff that I have done wrong. Mm -hmm. And you, priest, doctor, attorney, client, uh, healthcare professional, uh, mental health professional, cannot repeat it. So you know it. It is, quote, the truth. Mm -hmm. But we have decided the relationship is more important than access to the information. So don't yes. tell me the truth is the most important thing in a criminal case, because the person that knows the most doesn't have to talk. Other people who know a lot are privileged and don't have to. I'll give you my favorite example. Let's assume someone's on trial for murder and they have two prior murders in their background. The yep. jury will yep. never hear about that. Yep. So, yep. I mean, is it true that he has committed murder in the past? Yes. Would a jury want to know it? Sure. Are they ever going to find out? Not if he doesn't testify, they're not. And that's the thing that is so earth shaking to people not involved in the legal process is it is heavily bound by rules for for a good reason. And like all rules can be used for the reason intended or used against you. So so what do you tell people courts about then? Uh, it's adversarial. And what we hope is through a series of rules um, long established that eventually 12 fellow citizens can arrive at the truth. The question then becomes, what is the truth? The truth is not, did X do this? That is not the truth. The truth in a trial is, did the state prove that X did it? Now, uh, when I was a prosecutor, I never once said that, just in total candor. I always told the jury, your job yeah. is to find out what happened. Well, that's not their job. Their job is to figure out whether I proved what happened, which there's a difference. Which when you say it's adversarial, it, it, you, it's, it's, you just got to say it in plain English. What do you mean? 
examination and cross-examination, we believe that cross-examining someone is the best way to elucidate the truth. So your team asks you questions, and then the people that don't have your best interest in mind get to ask you questions. Look at Alex Murdoch. Yeah. It was the cross-examination, which people judge either good or not, but the jury decided, we don't find you credible. How would you ever know that if he never testified? If he sat at the witness stand, I mean, at the defense table, would the verdict have been the same? If he never testified? If you were representing him, would you have allowed him to testify? You do not control that. All you can control is you can say, look, Your Honor, I have advised the client what his rights are. He has the right to remain silent, but he also has the right to testify. I have further advised him that I don't think he should, but it's his decision. Okay. Yes, I get that legally. And and what you just went over is what you would say in public. What would you have said to him in your law office? That you're you they're going to spend hours and hours on the fact that you lied. And do you have a good explanation for why you lied about the most important fact, but yet they're supposed to believe you on all the rest of it? Okay. And he said, Yeah, I got something. I got something everybody will believe drug induced paranoia that made me forget the most important 42 seconds, but not the rest of it. I think I can sell them on that. We're going to take a quick break. More of my interview with Dr. Kevin Gilliland is next. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. You can no more understand the mind of a narcissist than I can or our listeners can. So when you have the dark triad, when yeah. you really think that you are good enough to yeah. convince 12 people that you are, I mean, Ted Bundy represented himself sometimes. I mean, people yeah. think they're good enough because they've gotten away with it. I know. I that know. I can do this. I yep. don't know how you have a rational conversation with a narcissist. I don't know. You have to appeal to the things that they detest to their core. Because if you talk to them like you talk to other humans, you're right. Um, and actually, you know, you, you bring up an issue that a lot of people miss. How can this happen? And you go, well, what you just said is a massive data point that if I had to guess, and it's purely a guess, neither you nor I were involved in this case at all. But if I had to guess, there were some heated conversations about him testifying. And you go, well, why did, why did he end up testifying? My guess is everything you just said, because he wanted to. And you go, why would he want to? Well, for a lot of bad reasons. And a lot of bad reasons that in all likelihood contributed to the final thing that we saw. Which gets me to one of our favorite books, believe it or not. Crime and Punishment. I uh, love it because yes. it is it is about what guilt, uh, remorse uh, can man. do to you. You can get away with the perfect crime, but if no one knows you got away with the perfect crime, then are you satisfied? So 
So, I mean, I think there's a part of Alex Murdoch that not only wanted to get away with murder, he sort of wanted people to know he got away with it. So how do you let me ask you this? Some people can commit. I mean, you watched his sentencing. Mm-hmm. He should have he kept his mouth shut, by the way. He was going to get life no matter what, but still, he made he made Judge Newman very, very unhappy. Uh, so some people really are unaffected by their criminality. They can live the rest of their lives. There are no physical manifestations. They don't no weight loss, uh, no nightmares at night. And then there are people like the guy in crime and punishment, like an FBI agent. Kevin, I remember to this day an FBI agent killed his informant because he was having a sexual relationship with her. And she said she was pregnant. And an FBI agent killed his informant. And the physical manifestations of his guilt are what led him to confess. Yeah. Yeah. So how do some people live with it and some people lose weight and lose their hair and cry out to confess that they did something? I know. I know. And that's, man, you talk about unpack the complexity of it. I think that is one of those places that you end up camping because it's a critical place. Because to think that we're not capable of horrendous things is one of the biggest mistakes we humans make. Um, I think it keeps us from having a sympathy and an empathy and a different way of moving through life because I would argue that, again, we have to look at the outliers. And and if you take serial killers and mass murderers, it's of a different sort. They're humans broken in a very unique and different way. And a very small percent of the population is like that. And by the way, no, it has nothing to do with the invention of the television because some of the oldest serial killers we know about were before the television. So it's just a brokenness that happens in humanity. But then you have this other group and this group like Murdoch. We'll talk about them. But before that group, you have your FBI person. And, you know, I did a little bit of work early in my career, as you know, with some on some legal stuff with people charged and some of those convicted of murder and some death row because Texas has that. And honestly, and I don't say this a lot, so I, but I'll say it to you. What will really disrupt your head is spending time with someone that is a really good person that did something horrendous and can talk about the fact that they did something horrendous with sincere and deep, genuine remorse and regret that didn't fight their sentence. And you're like, how did that happen? Now you get back to someone like Murdoch, and I've said this to you before, one of, and I can't remember who said it, so I'm for sure stealing it, but you never lie to yourself because when you break that internal moral compass, as I've said to you, you will sail off the earth. Yes, it's flat. And those are the only people that know it. Everybody else knows it's round, except people that got lost down that rabbit trail during COVID. No, when you break that internal moral compass, and especially when you break it and it's a transgression against common values, which is respecting other people. I don't care if you're 
religious or not religious, that's a common value. When you break that to take advantage of them financially or occupationally or in any way, you run the risk of continuing that and severing that internal conscience. When you look at his history, and I've watched a lot, more than I should, probably because it fascinates me from a uh, a professional standpoint, because I do a lot of expert stuff, um, and you're always wanting to get better at what you do, and you see that with him. You very clearly see that with him. And that's what, you know, going back to something we said earlier, if you're looking at this event and trying to understand how he could, you're missing it. You're missing it. Because it's it's actually easier to say, I don't know how he couldn't have. Honestly, when I look at all the data I've looked at, and I, I don't have access to all of it, but when I look at everything, I've, I'm like, how could he not have? The, the most telling is... You know, when I look at some of the pieces that I've that I've looked at that are most telling and, and you do the same, right? You and I learned this from from you and, and working with the really good attorneys. Y'all talk about something that we talk about in our field in psychology in a, in a very similar way. Y'all and, and correct me. And, and I know you will. Y'all look for fact patterns. And in our version, in the field of psychology, we're looking for things that are consistent we use the other language, and then we look for things that are inconsistent, right? That don't line up with these data points. They're outliers. Listen to the recorded conversations he has from jail. They are significant data points, um, and they tell you a lot. Most recently, I watched the one from the, the special HBO hat. It's, it's a place I remember the clip. And I think it's in the last of that series. It's a conversation he's having with his son. And I don't know where it takes place in the, in the trial, but pretty far down, the verdict hasn't come in. And he's talking to his son about going to the property where his brother and mother were brutally murdered. And you hear, just listen to the son talk about it. Listen to Alex talk about it. And that is a significant data point significant. Um, and you see this space of when you sever that internal relationship with your conscience, oh man, that's, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. And you hear it and you hear it and see it in these little glimpses. So when he testified and some folks asked me what I thought about his testimony, I always said the same thing. He's a very good liar. But the most important word in that phrase is liar. He's very good at it. No, he's not. No, he's not. Why are I you think, getting, he's I think horrible. He's, I thought he was really good. Now, did he have some telltale signs? Yes, he overexplained innocent points. No. He spent a lot of yeah. time talking about a bird dog chasing a chicken. But when you've been a drug addict and you've been stealing money from your partners, you have to be good at lying. That's deceiving. It's manipulation, but when it comes to lying, I don't think he's that good at it. What makes a good liar versus a bad liar? Well, okay, look, broad category, don't Google search the research on it. We all lie, technically, from the research perspective, when we define terms, we all lie a lot. Now, there's a lot of little lies. You're like, get rid of all those. 
You know, people ask you, you're out. Well, you, why'd you take off the day? Oh, I had to have a medical procedure. Well, no, you were actually down filing papers to get a divorce. You didn't want to say that because you're back. Well, technically, that's a lie. So let's just get rid of all that stuff. Um, but lying is simply putting to words behaviors. I would agree with you if what he's good at is the behavior of deceit, manipulativeness, and he knows how to make things disappear, mainly money, and, and leverage in a horrific way position, power, and relationships. When he has to put to words what he's done, and, and he has some scrutiny where those things have been removed, because that's what court did. It removed his power and position and leverage. And now it's just you, dude. He's horrible at it. So you really, you thought, I mean, clearly you were right. The verdict was quick. But the observer seemed to think, and maybe I just, maybe I've been poisoned from doing it. I've seen so many bad liars. He really didn't change the core thrust of the story, which is I didn't do it. Mm -hmm. I mean, he, he, he never, I mean, he never will, I don't think, admit no. that he, like, OJ will never admit that he did it. No. So no. is that because he's convinced himself that it wasn't me, it was the drugs, or it wasn't me, it was something else? Yeah. No, he knows people that lie to that degree and sever that internal compass. No, they know they're lying. They just don't and they still don't interpret their behavior as being part of who they are. They would see it so distant from and an outlier. That's just not me. Well, no, that is you. Now, it's not all of you, but it is you. You did it. You said it. When you lie like he does and you look at his behaviors, right, his crying, his memory issues. That's what I mean by his lies. They're not consistent. They don't hold together. And when you listen to those unguarded moments like the calls from prison you go oh you don't do this well you don't do it well which is why if they would have hired if when i get hired by law firms i had a true story and i'm like well you i'm pretty consistent whether it's on podcast with you or talking to an attorney they had me on speakerphone talking about a client they had hired me to to work with them on to you know evaluate and make recommendations and so i called them back because they were going to court in a couple of days and call them late one evening. I'm like, Hey, and they started talking to me. I started talking on speakerphone. It's just this attorney. And I said, look, you've got a problem. I don't know what you need to do, but I would not go to court in two days. And, and, and the attorney's like, why? And so I gave her a short answer of why. Um, I was like, this is an issue. This is an issue. And I do not think she's going to do well. Then this attorney says to me, well, he's in the room right now at the table. Um, and I've got it on speakerphone. I'm like, <laughs> and my response was, well, I don't know what that's got to do with anything. I would say it whether he was at the table or 10 miles away. It's, it's a problem. And there's no way. I, I mean, I would have, I would have gone to the mat about him being on the stand to testify. Now, do I think that would have kept him from it? No, not unless I could have really sifted through his grandiosity and lack of social connection at all and appeal to maybe a sliver that would scare him into not doing it. 
but that that we'll have to talk about Sunday morning because you go, wow, could you do that? And you go, well, no, you can try, but your odds of being successful are not great. More of my conversation with Dr. Kevin Gilliland is coming up. All right. I want to ask you two other things that have vexed me for a long time. Number one, why people do things in a group that they would never do individually, whether it's at a sporting event, whether it's the short story, The Lottery, which I read when I was a kid. You may have read it, too. We would not pick up a stone and stone someone. And yet when everyone's doing it, I mean, what is it? We hear this herd mentality, mob mentality, but I don't. I mean, why? Why does that yeah. change it? Yeah. You know what it's similar to? It's similar to how we are online. You know, why do we comment and say the things we say online that we would never say in person? And I think there's some similarity in the dynamics of those two things. And it's it speaks to I think I go I would go back to that internal moral compass. We've lost that independence of action and independence of behavior and we've lost some of the normal constraints that society has and by the way some of those are really good if you ever look at societies or countries that have none of that i don't think you want to live there and so when we lose that we're vulnerable not everybody but there's there's a group of folks that are vulnerable to behave and act in ways that they only thought or dreamt of. Um, now, you do have outliers that do that and they don't care when, where or how. Um, we have a fancy clinical term for that, but suffice to say, we refer to them as prisoners. Because you're broken in a way that you can't be amongst other people, but. There are very good things that we get from society and groups. But when when we get in those groups, we are vulnerable to, if you will, set our internal moral compass on a magnet. And you're like, well, that thing's not working. So I'm going to go with everybody else because we get swept up in the emotion and we lose the ration and reason. And anytime that shift gets too great, we're in trouble. This, a similar thing happens with victims of genuine trauma. Um, there's a shutting down of our system to get through the traumatic event. And that does not require a lot of reason and thought and logic. It requires a lot of reactivity and things like mu large muscle groups, acute vision and hearing, right? It's that survival mechanism. And so it's highly emotional and reactive. Um, and when that when we're when we're making decisions out of that part of our brains, we don't do well. All right. I got Makes one sense. more question for you. I I was reading something a couple of weeks ago. I think I'll, I'll probably send it to you. Um, so this is the genesis of it. I mean, one of the things that I uh, at least as an observer of you in college, I don't know what was going on inside your dome, but as an observer of you. You seemed impervious to what other people thought. In other words, you kind of decided for yourself, well, I'm going to do this. I'm not going to do this. And what other people think, I don't mean this in like a, like a bad way. It's a good thing. You seem to have internalized your own self-worth, and it wasn't dependent upon what other people thought. 
how, I mean, you're a grown man now. You were a teenager back then. We have this epidemic of young girls primarily that have not internalized their own self-worth. It is contingent upon what other people say. How do we flip that? Yeah. Well, first of all, it's it's a little awkward that you bring up the impervious to others' opinion on a podcast about murder. So that that hurts a little. Um, <laughs> I said a minute as a compliment. Okay. No, that I know. Oh, I, I heard what you said, and then I saw what you did. Those aren't the same thing. That's a little legal uh, example for you folks at home. The three that are still listening. You know, it's funny. You you um, we're far more vulnerable to it now than we were. Um, before Al Gore invented the internet, um, because we used to just compare ourselves to the Joneses. Um, now we're comparing ourselves to people that don't even speak the same language we do. Um, and we're doing it for hours a day. Any sense of self-confidence and appropriately keeping others' perceptions and opinions in our vision is something we work on our entire life. I've done a little bit of radio, TV, and interviews. You do it a lot. I think we could do an entire podcast of what's it like to do those things and to have people talk to you like you're a mannequin. It's one of the most, as a psychologist, you're laughing, you're not because it's hysterical. I mean, people are like, when I have people at work that'll be with me when I shoot stuff for a company or do stuff, producers and stuff, they talk to you like you have no feelings and you're a mannequin. And you go, it's not personal. What are they looking to do? And that's the heart of the issue. What they're looking to do is help you be the best. And they don't have time for the long story. They're like, hey, stop doing that. Or, hey, do it again and don't do this. Also known as that wasn't good. <laughs> and, and so what we have to develop is this ability to be settled in what we're good at. Hold on loosely to what we're not good at, because that's true of all of us. We tend to spend way too much time looking at that versus, hey, I'm, I, I'm doing okay at this. I want to. I want this to get better and grow. And you want to be the best version of you. Well, if you want to be the best version of you, you need to keep some outside voices that you trust. But you ought to be really selective of who those people are. It should not be Helen from Wisconsin. <laughs> so that's basically what we've done with a lot of the Internet and social media. As you go, look, you need to it's hard enough to arrive at a place where we have a confidence and yet stay open to feedback and thoughts and critical interactions that help us get better. If you want to get better, I don't care what it is that you do. You just signed up for hearing things that hurt a little. Well, I, I, my question is always the same, which is, well, which do you hate more? Hearing something that hurts a little or just kind of being mediocre at what you love doing? Okay, well, I just, I've already answered that. That's terribly painful and I don't want to do it. So have, be very thoughtful about how, you step into that space and who you allow both personally and virtually. So, Hey, here's my final question. Hey, by the um, way, what Helen from Wisconsin was an example. So if there is yes. a Helen from Wisconsin, I'm not, he's yeah. not can I say something that proves your point? And then I'll let you ask the yeah. last question. Yes. So uh, it's probably three years ago when 
Fox, I guess the first 12 people couldn't do it. They said, do you want to fill in for the nine o'clock show as a guest host? Yeah. And I thought the same thing you're thinking, Kevin, which is that's pretty far down the call list to get to you, but that's fine. I went ahead and did it. And then I did it again two nights later. And I, you know, I survived, I thought. Yeah. And then I got a phone call from Tim Scott. Yeah. Who may be the nicest guy. I mean, there are plenty of nice women, but he's he's a nice guy. He called and said, look, I don't want to sugarcoat this, which I very much wanted him to sugarcoat it. But he said he wasn't going to. He said, I didn't recognize the guy on that show. There was no spontaneity. There was no humor. And I knew that he cared about me. So it actually didn't hurt. It didn't hurt because I knew that he cared about me and also knew he was right. And those are two different things. So I guess how we frame that advice matters. I mean, not only who we get it from, but how it's framed. Yes. Yeah. I mean, we, we, you know, God, it's so great. And I'm so glad you dialed me into what a wonderful human he is. And he happens to be fantastic at what he does for a living because I've thoroughly enjoyed listening and following some of his stuff. But if you have a little bit of a desire, that's one thing. And if you happen to be that person in somebody's life, craft those words in such a way that they hear them. Um, Because when you're letting somebody know something that was incredibly valuable, which in a nutshell, it was like, hey, you have to be you. That's what I love about you. Now, your producers and post-production people will trim up, knock some edges off of you. But you is the most powerful thing. And that's what we have to hang on to. And we have to knock some of those edges off. But you got to have people that you allow in your life that you trust that can do that, not Helen in Wisconsin. And I don't know Helen in Wisconsin. I happen to love Wisconsin. So, yeah, I love that. So here's my last question for you. And it probably relates to that first phone call with with Fox. And it's kind of awkward. And and hopefully we're just down to two listeners. But you and I both from the South. I I, I know I've got an accent. You 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 have to interpret some of your statements to me sometimes because I I don't know what you're saying, but help me out with this. Because when I read stuff, it looks like his name is Alex Murdoch. But but you guys say Alec with a K and Murdoch with a K. I just don't know if it's your your accent or it's it's confusing to me. So I think we've been talking about the same case, but (laughs) it's that you know, forever when we get together, you, you try to order sweet tay. And I was like, I know, ma'am, I don't know what he's saying either. Hey, can I ask you something? Yeah. The words one viewer. Go ahead. The word spelled L-A-U-G-H. Yeah. How do you pronounce that? Laga? There's no F in laugh. So there are plenty of words that this don't sound like they're spelled. Here's how I know to pronounce. Murdoch's last name. His father was the district attorney when I was the district attorney. His father, Randy Murdoch. Wow. So it took me about five years of looking at this guy's name and seeing that it ends in A-U-G-H, but yet everyone around the table is calling him Murdoch, like sitting on the dock of the bay. 
by Otis Redding, which is a really good song. Fantastic. Yeah. So not to digress, but I just, it's like, you know, North Carolina has a city pronounced Beaufort. We have the exact same spelling and it's pronounced Beaufort. Same word, same letter, same order, two different pronunciations. Murdoch, um, I guess it's the Scottish pronunciation. Well, if I had to bet my life, the Scottish well, pronunciation of Murdoch. Yeah, you are on thin ice here. Um, and uh, you're, you're trying to figure out how the Scots do something. Because um, when, when, and you just lost the last English listener we had, <laughs> you used the analogy uh, or analogy, however you say it, of laugh. How you say that? Well, based on the Murdoch spelling, it'd be Murdoch. Yes. But it's not Murdoch. Yeah. They, you, I hear people say Murdoch. Well, let me ask you this. How do you pronounce? Because when people back when when I used the telephone and right. people would say, you know, I'd say I'm Trey Gowdy. I need to make a re- reservation. They would say, OK, can you spell that? And I would say G as in gnome. <laughs> Okay, that's how I would do it. That's what your listeners just don't get enough of (laughs) is your brilliance and quick wittedness has always been uh, outside of your dashing good looks and dapper uh, dress. Oh, please stop. I mean, not right now, but please stop. It's the... It's the G like gnome. My favorite is just still to say, how do you spell that? Just like it sounds. I mean, I'm not sure what your question is, which uh, that's probably from being in court too much. Um, Yeah, that's well. Can I tell you one more before we go? I mean, it's just me and you at this point. So, uh, yeah, there's and some poor (laughs) post-production person in New York going, oh, my. no, no, she quit. No, she quit about 45 minutes ago. She quit to lunch 30 minutes ago, (laughs) as did your last listener. I love it when people, and it happens on the golf course all the time. I'll be looking at a putt and someone will say it breaks more than you think. You have no idea what I'm thinking. So how do you, I mean, it breaks more than I think. It's harder than you think. It's, it's longer than you think. You don't know what I'm thinking. So how, what, why would you say that? And, and, and what I would say is I, I hate to do this and this is going to be terrifying to you, but I overthink everything. So can you imagine <laughs> I mean, you're like, <laughs> and that, my friends, is why we got into so much trouble in class. Oh, uh, we have a we have a non-aggression pack, Doctor Gilliland. We we do not discuss anything that happened. I don't know before yesterday. Oh, we do gosh. not discuss it. So. Well, the fact that you are a clinical psychologist, in theory, helping people. Yeah. And the fact that I wound up on this side of the criminal justice system and not the one that every one of my mm. friends' parents thought I would wind up on exactly. is, thank God, and, and Ann Bolton and Terry Dillard. I'm telling you, man. I am telling you. So, man, I, I really have sincerely... You have such a keen legal mind, which is about strategy and about the adversarial piece, which is the best outcome for your client or whichever side you represent. And that, man, you 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 really, man, you've always had that, which you apply to so much that you do with Fox and makes it so enjoyable. So we'll have to keep uh, talking offline about this uh, 
Murdoch, however you say it. Uh, you, uh, well, okay, so. you say it however you want. Um, I'm a relativist. Uh, for folks that want to, you know, my sister asked me a while back where your podcast was, because speaking of the one, she yeah. listened to your podcast. If people are like interested in how someone with the dark triad became a psychologist, where sure. can they follow you? Well, I've taken a hiatus from the podcasting. Um, we'll do a podcast next week. That's just the pain caused to Harold Watson Gowdy the third by his sister wanting to know <laughs> where can I listen to more of what Kevin has to yeah. say? I mean, you, you know, she me. can tell her she can still send me text of, Hey, Trey just said this. How should I reply? I don't mind her doing that. Um, so she doesn't have to wait for a podcast. <laughs> Dr. Kevin Gilliland. Thank you so much. Can't wait to visit with you again, whether it's on the podcast or on air. And thank you all for whoever's left at the end. And I don't know if it's anyone. Helen, <laughs> thank you for hanging in there in Wisconsin. Helen in Wisconsin. All right, brother. I'll see you. Bye. Take care, my friend. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine.